It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, this is Sam Matterface with the Game Day Premier League Preview Pod. The new year starts with 10 more Premier League belters and TalkSport is bringing them all to UK radio with our 10 games of New Year. Every game, every goal, every moment to savour will be on TalkSport, TalkSport 2 or the TalkSport app. The pick of the bunch will be at the Emirates Stadium where Manchester United, on the back of their first clean sheet in 14 Premier League games, look to become the eighth team in a row to avoid defeat at Arsenal. Welcome back, Mikel. The race for second place hots up as Leicester take on the Toon and Pep hopes to avoid getting stuck by the Toffees. West Ham have Moyes back in the dugout. Are the fans really going to hammer the board as they take on Bournemouth? Plus, the relegation picture becomes clearer. Liverpool against Sheffield United on Thursday and VAR hysteria. This is the Game Day Preview Pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day Premier League Preview Show. And fresh from a bruising encounter with Jamie O'Hara on the Allen Brazil Sports Breakfast, Nicole Holiday is here. It's so nice to see you. How are you? Oh, it's lovely to see you. Do you know what? That Jamie O'Hara drives me mad. He always he, he tries he? to fish for something. Yeah, he, he knows how to bait me, how to wind me up. Didn't didn't have to look too hard, did he? No, really? Let's you know be honest what? about it. <laughs> Usually I think it doesn't work because Arsenal have been in such poor form that I kind of sit there and I'm like, come at me, Jamie, because I agree with everything you're saying. Whereas I think today he knew he knew how to get me because I was quite happy, actually, with the Arsenal performance. Well, they are on Despite the verge the of something defeat. special. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, yes, there he is, our version of Pierre-Emerick or Bamiyang, tracking back to help us all out, but then frightened off by a young whippersnapper. David Connolly is there. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. I'm just on the verge of something special myself. <laughs> Happy New Year. David said uh, probably about the uh, third or fourth pod into the uh, new season that he thought Arsenal were on the verge of something special. Um, what I don't think he meant was they were on the verge of their lowest uh, Christmas finish since 1983 and starting the new year in 12th position. Yay! Uh, we'll get on to Arsenal in just a second because, of course, uh, a lot of attention has been given to them and they've got the huge match against Manchester United to look forward to. Uh, let's start with VAR, though, if you don't mind, uh, because that has been the topic of conversation over the last couple of days. Now, I scribed a tweet uh, which is in a thread on my Twitter page, at Sam Matterface, trying to give sort of like a balanced diagnosis as to what has happened with VAR, which in summary is, I don't get the offside discussions that include things like, oh, daylight, and there needs to be clear and obvious, or oh, advantage needs to go to the attacker, it's only tiny or, tiny or it's marginal, so therefore it's out of order. Um, under the current offside law, you have to have a demarcation point. The problem with VAR is actually that the technology has been proven to be imperfect, and as a result, we've sort of lost faith in it. The PGMOL could have mitigated this by being a bit more upfront about the margin for error and explaining, if they believe it to be the case, that it was still more accurate than the linesman eye, uh, but they didn't do that. So what do you think should happen, bearing in mind the laws of the game going forward? I mean, it, this weekend was a bit of a joke, really, in regards to VAR. And Sam, I get what you're saying in in the sense of people saying, oh, it's such a small a small margin. But, I mean, Pookie's goal, for instance, or or not not a goal in the end, 
That was ridiculous. Well, I mean, when Why? it's like an because when it's like an armpit or something. Do you know what? When I'm sitting there and I'm seeing loads of different images and, and then screenshots on on social media as well with lines drawn from an armpit, and I, I still don't actually really understand when it's like that. It comes to a point where it's a bit ridiculous when it's taking them three minutes. Why is it ridiculous? Because why is it ridiculous? How could, okay, that is the law of the game. Right, the law surely of the should... game is that you have to be able to. Um, if you, the mark of which you are offside is a, a point of your body in which you can score a goal from. Then you have to. Right, so from an armpit. You have to measure from that point, don't you? So can you score from from an armpit? If that's the law. Has anyone scored from an armpit before? Because yeah. that's quite magical if they have. Doesn't matter, does it? You can. No, but this is what I mean. Shouldn't it be okay? Should we not then change it, perhaps, for it to be if your if the foot yeah, but is offside? We don't have the ability to do that. Well, I want the but ability. This is the that I've got. We don't have the ability to do that. We can't. But David, you know, you've played the game. The rules are set by someone who is a greater mm. power than us. The P, the PGMLO, the, the the Premier League, the FA. It's by the International Football Association Board, of which we have some influence, but not a hell of a lot. And ultimately, these games govern everybody from. Sunday League football in Singapore to Salt Lake City, from Eindhoven to Edinburgh, and all the way to the Premier League from Sunday League football on Hackney Marshes. And the laws have to be the same for everyone. So we don't get to choose, because VAR isn't particularly um, popular in this country, to change the laws of the game, do we? No, but obviously in Hackney the Marshes, they're not using VAR. That's the problem, right? I mean, it's not one for all. This is just for well, the elite the problem, level. is it? That, it's just that, the elite the level. Reason, that's the reason for the law. Because you have to have a demarcation point so that a linesman on any given Sunday down on Hackney Marshes can make a decision. Yes, you do. I guess it's it's uh, what you're saying is there's there's obviously clear distinction, black and white. It doesn't matter how thin that line is. It, there is black and white. There's no grey. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that it's magnified, isn't it, on TV to about one pixel just to maybe make it a little bit clearer for us watching at home. But in fact, it's not It's not very no. clear. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that putting that in the stadium is going to help whatsoever. I think it will add to mm. the conjecture. You know? And I think it will cause a lot of discontent in stadiums if suddenly they saw those lines on the, on the monitor. I don't think on the big screen that will help. Is the problem that actually people who wanted VAR to come in and the general consensus was, especially before it was introduced, that it was going to stop the ridiculous situation where, you know, a manager comes out after the game and says, decisions like that cost me my job or, you know, the old Neil Warnock, we've been relegated because of a bad offside decision or whatever. But actually, when it gets down to it, people don't like absolutes. They don't like it was by a toenail. They don't like it was by a hair breath because as far as they're concerned, the punter, and I totally get this, that is not in the spirit of the game. That's not the reason offside was brought in in the first place. But if you are going to have an offside law and you are going to use VAR, this was inevitable. It was. What I would say, adding to this quickly, is if you look at some other sports, right, uh, field hockey, mm -hmm. for example, they'd done away with offside to make the game more interesting. And it didn't mean suddenly the game was completely changed or whatever, they adapted. And, and hockey is a really good game. You've got to remember, football's a low-scoring game. Now, that doesn't mean we need entertainment mm -hmm. at, at the expense of everything. That means, you know, tactically holding the line, etc., etc. But I think we have to be really careful because it's not basketball. You know, you don't score 70, 80 points. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not rugby. It's a low-scoring game, so you want to keep goals in it. However, However, there has to be that balance between obviously what is onside, what is offside. And I guess if you look back in November, I think Neil Swarbrick was was um, speaking on a conference with the with the Premier League, and he said their 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 percentage of decision making with VAR had gone up from something like eighty two to ninety one. So yeah. ultimately, you want it to do its job. So it is getting the decisions right. I guess um, the problem is, you know. The offside, I think, is the key one. I think offside yeah, is the yeah. key one that they need to iron out. Aren't there ways, surely, that we can make it a bit better? So, for instance, the amount of time that it's taking. Possibly. Can't, can't we say, you know, if, if they're doing... If they're checking VAR and within, I don't know, 30 seconds, they can't seem to find a clear mm. and obvious error or whatever it is, then they, they allow the goal. At, at what point, it, it becomes a bit silly. If they're having to look at however many different angles over the course of minutes, they're clearly unsure too. So then shouldn't they give the benefit of the doubt? 
Well, I agree with you. In principle, that would be a good thing. And I think that's probably sensible advice. However, <laughs> having read, as I did last night, like a sado, the mm -hmm. IFAB protocol on VAR, Ooh. matters of geography, there, yeah, I know. <laughs> God, my missus is lucky, isn't she? <laughs> hey? um, matters of geography um, are deemed as matters of fact. And therefore, the phrase clear and obvious should not be applied to them. So, uh, again, it's not in the preserve of the Premier League to do that. OK, what about pitch side monitors? So <laughs> Why aren't they being used? Ah, now that is... Now, that is the preserve of the Premier League, and a lot of UEFA officials are taking the mickey out of the way we run our game here. And I think that has long-term effects on, on the way that um, we're perceived going forward because we use a different racism protocol than, mm -hmm. than FIFA, which I don't understand, as we did the other week during the, uh, the Tottenham-Chelsea match. Um, why do we have to do it differently? We do VAR differently. Again, we have sort of taken the IFAB protocol and stretched it to its limits and decided that we are not going to use pitch side monitors because we think that it would slow down the game and then if you watch a Champions League game actually it seems to speed the whole thing up I don't understand why Mike Riley and his cohorts have decided to do that well we saw in the Club World Cup didn't we with um, Mane with the decision that the referee overturned yeah. went to the monitor realized it was outside and overturned his decision so I think that's certainly something we need to do OK, well, we can't solve it here because ultimately I don't think the Premier League can solve it either. But I think if I was um, Richard Masters and I was newly the chief executive of the Premier League, I would be organising a very big end-of-season debrief, not involving just the clubs, not involving just the PGMOL, but season ticket holders, people who pay to go mm -hmm. and watch the game, who I'm sure are absolutely furious about their experience being altered. Um, and broadcasters and journalists and, uh, and lots of people from outside the game to see how to crisis manage this situation. Talking of crisis management, Mikel Arteta is hoping to avoid a fifth straight home defeat for Arsenal. Taylor on the far side, caught by Daniel James. And James goes early to Martial, and surely this is 1-0. It is 1-0 to Manchester United. Anthony Martial with the goal. Pressing work from Daniel James pays off. Taylor was caught. Really smart ball in. And Anthony Martial, one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper. The Manchester United number nine says thank you very much. Ozil with a left-footed ball into the penalty area. Chambers with a non-across goal! And Aubameyang! Gives Arsenal the lead. The perfect start in Mikel Arteta's first home game in charge. And as so often, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the goal hero for Arsenal. Yes, it's an eight o'clock kickoff on uh, New Year's Day. Now, there were definite signs of improvement for Arsenal. The shape was much better at times. They were closer together. How do you ensure that they get some home points on the board, David? I think this is going to be a really tough game. If you look at United, mm. um, they've had a great festive period. Not only have they been at home again, uh, Boxing Day, but then they only had to travel to Burnley. Um, so what a festive period they've had and their fans. Finally, they're obviously going away from home against an Arsenal team that, yes, they were improved. I thought David Luiz did well and I thought the players had a real um, willingness to work. You know, you saw that of Aubameyang chasing back, putting loads of effort and endeavouring. Um, but they're going to find this very, very difficult because United players look full of confidence, absolutely bursting with it. This will be a very, very tough game. Certainly, I think the likes of Toyero Guendouzi are going to be really important sitting in front of the back four. But, you know, you've seen for Arsenal, they just don't have the pace, I don't feel, to cope with you know, players that United possess. And we've seen them at their best. They're absolutely frightening going forward. Yep, and they did that against Manchester City and were particularly impressive. Nicole, what's the Arsenal fan base view on Arteta? Because from the outside looking in, there were a lot of naysayers when Arteta was appointed. What was the reaction straight after the game? You were there. Yeah, well, to be honest, I was um, one of those naysayers a little bit, really, because, you know, I kind of said, what experience does he have aside from working under Pep Guardiola? Um, but actually, considering, obviously, it was a loss and it was very frustrating... Um, generally on social media everyone had a lot of positives to say and so did I really because look the result itself um, quite hard to take but there were a lot of really great things actually that I saw from this Arsenal side and um, myself as well as loads of other Arsenal fans and I think 
everyone's feeling quite positive. I mean, Aubameyang, like David just said, looked so good. He was tracking back. Ozil as well. You know, sometimes Ozil can be accused of just kind of hanging around a little bit, being a bit lazy. And actually, he was getting back. I think defensively, we have been shocking. And look, obviously, it wasn't great towards the end of the second half because we conceded the two goals. But defensively, we were better than we had been as well, apart from Leno's error. Um, but I think that I think there's a lot a lot of positives to take. I think we look like we we're up for a fight, um, and I think as a fan, you are just happy to see, regardless of the result, when your team has put in that effort and really grafted, then I think you can be quite happy with that. Well, what I would say is um, one, I think the fans have got to be really sort of wholly invested in him. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to give him some support. You know, I know Ancelotti's gone into Everton and arguably Arsenal could have had him, but those fans have really bought into what he's been doing. So they need to buy into that. What I would say, at 1-0, they were cruising. Could they have scored a second one, really, to put the game to bed? Mm. I think the injury to Chambers had an impact. Yeah. Massive. I thought Mustafi then just sat off a, a little bit too much at, at times. Um Thought Leno for the goal. Why was he coming George to punch Julia it? Had an impact coming on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I think you know Leno. You mentioned Leno. Why does he go and punch the ball? He's I just know. got to claim that and take that cleanly. Uh, you know, if you think about how many times you've seen goalkeepers come and clean and and take that and just relieve the pressure. Why he came with a punch? And I just don't get it. So there are a where, lot of things to correct. I don't know. I know, I know. But do you know what? With that, I'm actually Sam. I'm really shocked at that stat against Leno because. I, I would have said that oh, he... Yeah. Well, in, in the sense of I think he's saved Arsenal a lot this season. I actually do think he's been very good for Arsenal. And it's one of those where, look, he'll be beating himself up about that, won't he? And as fans, it, it's frustrating to see something like that happen. But, you know, it is it is an error and it will happen. He, You know, no, one, no player is going to be perfect. They're all going to make mistakes. Clearly, he's made quite a lot. Um, but... I don't know, I think they're... Do you know what you say about Mustafi? And I agree, but considering how much hate he gets and, to be honest, how how poor he can be, I actually think when he first came on, he did quite well, which I think you don't often say for Mustafi. I think the most concerning thing for me was the fact, and Manchester United will have looked at this, is that is that they defended really well actually in their game on uh, Saturday night against Burnley, which is pretty Im- impressive. They were good on Boxing Day, but they look at Arsenal, who had 17 shots and scored once against Bournemouth, Oosh. had two shots on target in the entire game against Chelsea, and none after the 13th minute of the game on Sunday. Not one shot on target after 13 minutes of the game on Sunday against Chelsea. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, yes, he tracked back and he worked really hard. Well done to him for his £300,000 a week. But um, he also ended up in Tarek Lamptey's pocket after they brought on the teenager mm. for his Premier League debut. And he that well. would be a major, major concern. Well, I guess if you're, look, when you're picking through the bones of this, you'd say that, that Frank Lampard, I know he's, he's tinkered with his formation. It has worked well at times, as we've seen with his three, and then he's changed it to a back four. You know, did Mikel Arteta affect his team in the same manner? But he obviously hasn't been in the hot seat long enough, I don't think, to work out exactly maybe what he needs to do at times. But what he'll have to do against United, and I agree, I mean, you know, everyone was praising Victor Lindelof after his performance against Burnley. But if you go back even further against Man City, I thought he was the outstanding defender in a brilliant defensive performance. And look, they traditionally struggled against those this season in the, in the sort of bottom half, but they've got six points out of six over Christmas. They'll be going here in really good confidence. They've got bags of pace, pace to burn. So they're going to cause Arsenal an awful lot of problems. Yeah, I agree with that. Martial played well in that game, which is a few and far between, but he's always good on the counter-attack when linking up with James and Rashford. That game is live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock on New Year's Day and around the world on Premier League Live. On to West Ham against Bournemouth and Manuel has left 40 towers. David Moyes should never have been dispensed with, should he, in the first place? This is a case of an ownership group getting a little bit blinded by reputation. I mean, why on earth did they get rid of uh, Stuart Pearce and um, David Moyes in the first place and replace him with a guy who was obviously past his best? It's all a bit weird, isn't it? And I mean, Moyes was there for six months the first time round and he did a decent job, but... 
you know, obviously they didn't trust in him enough to then give him the, the full-time job in the end and they gave it to Pellegrini. And then, you know, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? I know that West Ham fans aren't exactly thrilled with this appointment and you kind of can't blame them because what does it say about your club when they're bringing in someone who they clearly just didn't think was good enough at the start? What I found weird as well is um, that he said that uh, he he's excited to be back home. What? It's interesting that you say you understand why they um, the, the the fans aren't happy with the appointment. And I was reading some fans on Twitter last night, and they were trying to organise some sort of protest during oh, wow. the game against Bournemouth. I, I mean, I don't know whether that's a, a sensible thing to do, really, particularly. And David, let me ask you this question: Is it a backward appointment, or is it actually an ownership group saying, "Look, we made a mistake." Mm. We were doing okay under David Moyes. We probably should have given him a, a, a better opportunity to go on and flourish at the London Stadium. We didn't do that, and now we're making up for our error. And actually, they're being a bit adult about it and saying, do you know what? Let's go back to where we came from and start again. Yeah, I mean, look, they don't know. Let's be honest, they don't know. I'm sure they would have liked Moyes probably just to the end of the season, but I think Moyes has negotiated a bit of a longer deal. If you look back when he took over, they conceded an awful lot of goals. Three against Newcastle, four against Swansea, um, three against Brighton, four against Liverpool, three against Burnley. I mean, you know, now they're struggling. They're struggling for goals themselves, keeping the ball out of the net. And, and they've gone back to someone who I think has really struggled to do that in the first place. So they've got, look, he has got it all to do because I was at the London Stadium. I covered the game for Talk Sport against Leicester, against, I wouldn't say a reserve Leicester side, but this was a, a Leicester side that had been patched up, yeah. put out on the pitch. No doubt these players knew that they were playing, I think, you know, a good few days beforehand, maybe even booked in a sort of a week beforehand. But they performed like they were their first choice 11. I mean, they were absolutely seamless. They gelled so well. And you're looking at West Ham and you think, I know he made changes too, but some of those players... I've got to be honest, they shouldn't really be on that pitch. Carlos Sanchez was woeful. The tracking back for Damari Gray's goal just epitomised everything wrong with West Ham. He took Allaire off, put Antonio on. The crowd went bananas because they wanted 4-4-2 like they did against Southampton. They got a victory. All over the park, they were just second best. No fight. There was nothing, no will to win, no energy. The desire was lacking. So I think David Moyes... Firstly, he's got to get that on the pitch. He's got to get Mark Noble on the pitch. Why he can leave his general, his midfield general, on the bench in a must-win game, I don't get it. Because if anyone, when you're a manager, you want someone out there who's going to you know, be given the instructions. You want someone, a replica of you, out there fighting and scrapping for every ball. And we just didn't see enough of that. So West Ham are in a really tough position at the minute. They really are. And if Moyes is the right man, I hope so. But I think he's got a massive job. It's, it's all well and good fans moaning about the appointment of of a manager or a new head coach at their club. But, you know, there have been so many managerial sackings this season that, you know, you kind of have to look at options as well, realistic options for your club and who would come. And Eddie Howe, who is going to be in the opposition dugout at the weekend, has been touted for so many different jobs since uh, he became the Bournemouth coach, but yet no one seems to want to take him. Uh, do clubs, as well as outside influences, just believe that Eddie is happy with his lot down in Bournemouth and he's not going to move? Well, the thing is, do we know? We don't really know if conversations have happened and maybe Eddie himself has been the one to say maybe that's a bit naive of me but you know maybe he said look especially right now it's not a good time at Bournemouth and I think where he's been there for so long and done a brilliant job I don't think that he would necessarily want to leave when it's in this state either well I I just think that he's um he's on a really really good contract he's very well paid I think that he's got a secure role that runs out in the summer it does run out in the summer but I think that um with the injuries that they've got they're mounting as well I think Jack Stacey did his hamstring King did his hamstring too um, yeah. you, look this is a game again which we felt for West Ham like Leicester with all those changes this is a winnable game for them and, and certainly at home they've got to start picking up points I mean their form at home has been absolutely dreadful yeah, defeat really after defeat those West Ham mm. fans say what you want you know you've got to have a lot of sympathy for them because they turn up in their droves and often they've seen something it's not really good enough that's served up and especially over Christmas so fingers crossed some cheer in the new year Okay, um, I'm furiously texting Piercy and saying, don't go, don't leave me, stay with me, don't go back there. I heard he can't wait to go. I want you more than they do. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) probably. Uh, Norwich scored twice on Saturday, still didn't win. They probably won't score twice against Palace. Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson labelled his size 2019 as wondrous. 
Despite having one of the thinnest squads in the Premier League, the Eagles escaped relegation with ease last season and the Fat Palace are closer to the top four than the bottom three is a glowing endorsement of the veteran former England coach who has certainly rebuilt his reputation at Selhurst Park. In Jordan Ayew, the South Londoners have a player who can legitimately claim to be one of the best pound-for-pound signings in the division. After all, his five goals this season have furnished Palace with nine points. Not bad for two and a half million. Norwich put on a brave display at home to Tottenham at the weekend, but should really have punished the visitors for an error-strewn performance by taking the win. The Canaries are six points adrift of safety, and with January funds limited, it would take a miracle for Daniel Farker's men to survive. But in Emi Buendia, they do have a player second only to Kevin De Bruyne for chances created this season. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The relentless machine keeps rolling on. Liverpool against Sheffield United is a Thursday night game. I think it's Thursday, although I'm losing track of my days <laughs> rapidly at this time of the year. Um, are they going to nick Arsenal's invincible tag, Nicole? Oh. I mean, just to make it an even worse year for you. No. Oh, I don't know, Sam. I mean, they, they may well, but... Oh, that'd be devastating, wouldn't it? Do you know what, though? Because I, I was actually speaking to my mum about this the other night and she's terrified that that's going to happen. And I said to her, and I know this might sound a bit weird, but as as a Liverpool side goes, if they do do it, I don't entirely hate this side. Like, they are a likeable side. Jurgen Klopp is very likeable. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to make this better for myself, aren't I? But do you know Crocky. what I mean? Out of every team that it could be... As a squad, as oh. as Klopp's there, Nicole, they're likable. I feel like I'm a bit oh, of a they got some handsome players. <laughs> oh, he's sweet. He's cute. No, yeah. but I, I just I feel, like, I, I feel like we're trying to sort of talk you down off a ledge here. I mean, I there's a real issue oh. uh, that Arsenal fans are going to have to deal with. Not only are going to have the awful. worst possible uh, season in history, they're going to lose their Invincibles tag as well. Look, I mean, this is because they're so good now, David. Right? There's a, yeah. a real swagger about this team. Yeah. Uh, the risk is is that it it's done with so much time to go that there is enough time to have a Devon Lock, Annie Power type no. uh, fall. And, that won't happen, and, will and, it? And allow someone to take over. I, I don't think it will happen, no. but I mean, the only danger I can think of is that there's too much time to go between now and the end of the season and, they, and they've got this huge, massive lead in the back. Well, look, we were at the King Power, weren't we? And we were down in the tunnel after and the, those players had a yeah. steely determination I try to get something out of you know Jordan Henderson in terms of well, what a result and that's you done now and he was like no nope. <laughs> just towed the same line as Jurgen Klopp we're just thinking of next game yeah. next game next game next game that is it and you got to remember the Champions League win they only lost one game last season right so it wasn't the defeats it was the draws that killed and they've turned them into wins 
the Champions League win, obviously the Club World Cup. They, they've come back absolutely brimming. Yeah. They were brimming with confidence. And, you know, even Brendan Rodgers said after, forget the technical and the tactical. Physically, they are massive. They're hard to compete mm-hmm, with. Yeah. They're so quick. They're so Huge. strong. And, you know, they've got all that sort of armoury. And you think, where's a weak link in the, you know, where's the chink? In our armour, it's, it's very hard to pick one out. However, Sheffield United gave him a really good game in the first one. It took a terrible error from Henderson. Mm. The Howler and Chrissy Wilder co- yeah, called him out. So you think that, you know, they've got that little bit of determination. They, you know, they'll probably make it difficult, break them down, etc., sit deep and all the rest of it, but also break forward. And, you know, you just, you never know. But look, they're going to have to perform to, to their absolute maximum, which is so hard to do against Liverpool. I was at the game uh, at Bramall Lane earlier in the season. I spoke to Chris Wilder afterwards. Uh, Dean Henderson is the kind of character, though, I think will be determined to go out mm-hmm. and atone for that error. He's got a big personality. Uh, and if he puts in a man-of-the-match display at Anfield, when you look back at the game against Wolverhampton Wanderers, there's every opportunity. And there are, are results over the course of the campaign when you look back and you think, well, they just about got over the line against Aston Villa. They just about got over the line against Leicester in the home game, thanks to a VAR decision. They just about avoided dropping points against Wolves because of very tight offside call in that game. I wouldn't be surprised if Sheffield United, with Chris Wilder in charge, just because of the way that the year and the season has gone so far, that if they are the ones that are the first ones to take points off of... um, Liverpool since the 30th of January last year at Anfield when Leicester managed to get a draw there. Well, what I would say is if they did, right, I don't think that would phase Liverpool whatsoever because they don't have the arrogance. They don't have the arrogance to think that they are so good Mm -hmm. not to be beaten. Mm -hmm. They've got a real determination and I think if they win this Premier League, they have to be considered one of the greatest Liverpool sides. They have to be. Well, Pep says it's over, but can Carlo make it three in a row? Raheem Sterling round the back of Den Donker. Sterling for 2 0! Wow. Oh, he's oh. lobbed the goalkeeper, Raheem Sterling, for his second goal of the night. De Bruyne picks up the ball, feeds it forward to Aguero inside the box, and he's found the net, Sergio Aguero! And then towards Calvert Lewin again. Zuma's crossed this time, clearance this time, it's gone up. Calvert Lewin has converted! Hesitant defending by Chelsea. Kurt Zuma allowed the ball to drop from his initial header. And Calvert-Lewin reacted quickest of everyone. And after getting an early goal in the first half, Everton have done it again in the second half. Richarlison got the first. Calvert-Lewin's got the second. Carlo Ancelotti has got a new good luck charm in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but they didn't have it all their own way against Newcastle United. City didn't have it all their own way against Sheffield United either, did they? I thought at times, David, uh, Manchester City were quite sloppy on Sunday. Yeah, they were. Um, I think they are feeling the effects of of the the sort of Christmas programme. They had a very, very tough game against Wolves, which I think we all expected, to be honest. They have struggled against them previously. They then struggled to recover then, it looks like, against Sheffield. He seemed to drop Otamendi, put Garcia back in. But look, they got the job done. However, they're playing Everton's side, who are just in such great form. I mean, it's brilliant to see Calvert-Lewin now. Mm. You know, again, another player full of confidence. And when I look back on Ancelotti, I know we spoke about him before, but they call him the diva whisperer at Real Madrid because he could handle big name players because he was a big name player right and you know he's he's got now Moise Keane you know up top a little I know he hasn't maybe got the goal maybe that he'd, he'd like but certainly he's got him performing well he's managed to put attack minded players in the team without losing any balance at the back he's dropped Sigurdsson a little bit deeper and they haven't looked any weaker I don't know he's had such a good impact and you think you know it's really pleasing because he's one of those managers I think he's a he's a players manager who'll want to keep things nice light bright who'll talk to them who'll treat them like men and who'll hope to get a performance in return but not only that they've showed a real tactical maturity we spoke about him and the Christmas tree formation didn't we you know he brought that in and I don't know he's I think he's more than just you know the titles and great players hopefully he'll he'll be able to start something special there I like to think I'm talk sports diva whisperer (laughs) having to try and eke the best out of Colin Moore Joey Barton (laughs) Stuart Pearce David Connolly Nicole Holiday. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, five goals in his past six games since uh, Silva was sacked. Three under Ancelotti already. Eight Premier League goals this mm. season. I've always thought he was a bit underestimated. Does he do too much work outside the box? 
I think he. I think he's great. I think he's got a lot of potential as well, and he's strong. He looks very confident at the moment, but he's still a work in progress. I mean, Ancelotti came out and said that uh, he thinks he's going to become one of the best strikers in Europe, which I think it, it, that's a mm. bit of I don't know, a bit of a big shout. No, well, this is a this is a, this is a kid who's a, a, at youth level is a World Cup winner with England, isn't it? Mm. I mean, this is a guy who's been a big part of. Uh, um, the the pathway program in the England setup. I've always thought he's excellent in the air. Whenever he's come on for Everton, even in previous seasons, I thought he's been. I think he should have been given a better run in the team actually mm-hmm. under previous managers. He but, just yeah. yeah. If you can fill him with confidence and get the best out of him and, and stop him from doing a lot more work outside the air and, and sticking to in that inside that eighteen mm-hmm. yard box, then I think you can you could definitely get something out of him. Well, you saw their tactic against Newcastle. Basically, they just peppered the box every opportunity that ball was coming in and. Calvert-Lewin, he's big, he's strong, he's, he's powerful. Player. You know, he, he, I saw so him score. So good in the air. I saw him score at the Amex with his left foot. He can score right foot. He can get across people. He's on the run. But I would say this. I think Big Dunk set up Carlo Ancelotti really, really well. you got to remember those points he got over Christmas, five points from against Chelsea, Manu and Arsenal, yeah. has really benefited the side going mm-hmm. into this Christmas period. So, And it's great Big Dunk still involved. Okay, Manchester City don't have it all their own way against Everton traditionally. Three draws at the Etihad between the two in the last four years. And what's going to happen down at St Mary's? Southampton, rejuvenated, take on inconsistent Spurs. It was in the wake of defeat in this fixture last season, Maurizio Pochettino told me Tottenham needed a radical overhaul. He wasn't wrong. Barring reaching the Champions League final, it was a pretty miserable 2019 for Spurs, who suffered a staggering 22 defeats in the calendar year. Their fans will be hoping 2020 is much more prosperous and a win at St Mary's to revive their top four aspirations would be the perfect start for Jose Mourinho's team. Southampton have enjoyed a fruitful festive season, taking seven points from a possible nine, including a surprise win at Chelsea. Their upturning fortune is reward for the Saints owners for standing by manager Ralph Hasenhutl, even following their 9-0 drubbing at home by Leicester. Hasenhutl needs new faces in January, especially at the back, but the home supporters will be feeling much more optimistic than they were a couple of weeks ago. I'll be on commentary duty for Talk Sport and I'm expecting a scintillating encounter. Watford's revival continued with three points against Aston Villa despite being down to ten men. Now it's Wolves and Dream Team's Andrew Butler is here to serve up a New Year's smorgasbord of Dream Team tips. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Sam. How are you? I'm fine. I'm pleased that you can still talk after what I can imagine is a busy season for a chorister. (laughs) It was. uh, There was a lot of singing. No sore throats or anything like that? No, there was a lot of singing. And sometimes not in cathedrals, sometimes it was just down the pub because I'm like that. Okay. (laughs) All right, okay. Did you uh, take anybody home this Christmas? <laughs> Bit of a personal question, but uh, no, I actually spent uh, Christmas away with my family. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, you'll do it, I'm sure, in 2020. <laughs> it's all coming your way. That's um, a news talking of, uh, <laughs> um, uh, talking of good 2020s, Watford, I hope, will be uh, uh, looking forward to the new year. Should we think, be thinking about getting some Watford players into our dream team? Because Decore, in particular, was excellent. Could have scored in the game uh, at uh, the weekend. Uh, Dini and Saar on the score sheet. Time to pick one of their number and squeeze it into your team? I think, really, it is the time to get Troy Dini in, uh, in your team. I know it sounds kind of obvious, considering he's come back in the team, but he is such a talisman. For, for Watford and um, well the upturn in form for, for them has, has really come in hand in hand with the fact that he's back in the team he scored 17 points um, this game week he's only been picked by 0.2% of teams because you know he's been injured most of the season but you just see the way that he's pr- approached the games and come out after the game He's. I think I've, I've been watching quite a bit of football, as you can quite imagine, over the over the Christmas period. He's come out virtually every game and gone, nah, this isn't pressure. I'll tell you what pressure is. It's uh, my mum working three different jobs. And he says, oh, well, football's just a game, as you were saying, uh, saying after Aston Villa. So he seems like, you know, he carries the team on his shoulders, but he seems not bothered by that um, responsibility whatsoever. So he's um, probably a decent pick because, you know, if Watford play play well, then Deeney will probably play well as well. Um, what about Saar? Because... Uh, obviously bought in at huge expense uh, by uh, uh, 
uh, Javi Grazia in the summer, but um, there's been two different managers since then. Is finally are we starting to see the best of him? I think so. He's been, you know, like you say, his form's been a, a bit ropey at the start of the season, but scored seven points this week, 2.5 million in the game. There's probably better options at, at that sort of a price, but, um, you know, if, if Watford are to play well, um, like I said, him. Decore, uh, I really like Kapue. I think he's a really co- a constant um, source of creativity. He's not point in a, in a, scorer, though, but they're is not. He? They're not point scorers. Similar to Decore. Decore actually um, scored his first point since game week twelve. So that was about two and a half months ago um, in, in that game last weekend. <laughs> so um, it, it's those sort of players that look good but don't really score too many points on Dream Team. I saw Saar against um, Leicester when Watford played away under Hayden Mullins. I think it was his, one of his last games before the Palace game, and I thought Saar was absolutely superb. He was a real handful down that right hand side so yeah it wouldn't surprise me if he does pick up a few points okay in that game with Aston Villa Watford scored three goals in a Premier League game for the first time since April but I, I, I've seen Wolves twice in the last week and I think they are such a well-organized outfit this could be a cracker just like the FA Cup semi-final between the two last year which was a privilege uh, to be at who are we looking at in the Wolves rank well it uh, it, it has to be Adama Traore. Traore. He's oh, such so an exciting player. I know he's sort of kind of... You can't very, say him every week. No, I know. <laughs> I know he's sort of flavour of the month. But um, I just saw this stat from um, our stats providers who scored. And uh, apparently he's completed more dribbles in December than Bournemouth and Burnley. He's completed 53 <laughs> dribbles this month. Bournemouth have done 47 and Burnley 32, which you know isn't too much of a surprise when it comes to Burnley. But he is just such an exciting mm. player. I, I can't. I, I genuinely can't believe that he's playing this well because you know I said probably at the start of the season that he, he is um, you know slightly up and down. His dribbling doesn't always have much of an end product, and he's added that to the game. And you kind of think, blimey, there's there's a serious player that they've got there. I must admit, over December, my dribbling has suffered from the end product. Um, uh, Newcastle-Leicester next. Um, Don't put Andy Carroll in because he can't play two games in a week. I can't believe you weren't here the week that Miguel Almiron actually scored a goal. (laughs) Well, I can't either, but um, do you know what was um, really completing the nice narrative arc? My parents were at that game. My mum's a Crystal Palace fan and they live up that way. So my mum and dad went to that game and uh, they're avid listeners of the podcast, obviously. So they said over the Christmas table we were there when uh, when Elmer and scored Andrew and uh, you know and then you have they got a the t-shirt worst. for that <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I, I went to Newcastle and all I got was this lousy Elmer on yeah. t-shirt but he did score so it's okay but my dad my dad honestly was someone mentioned it three or four times over the Christmas period oh the did atmosphere he? they're br- absolutely brilliant when when he scored I've never heard cheering like it it's just yeah so oh. I'm, I'm glad I missed it to hey, be honest uh, what what what's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Butler called? Uh, Paul and Rosemary. Oh, Rosemary. Paul and Rosemary. Oh, it sounds so lovely, don't they? Are they choristers too? Um, no, they do spend quite a lot of time in cathedrals, though. Oh, they sound like a lovely couple. We should get them in the pod. Feel free. I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, Dream Team uh, extraordinaire. Uh, back with us in the next couple of days as we look ahead to the FA Cup matches as well. Uh, let's get on to Burnley against Aston Villa. I was at Vicarage Road to see Villa humiliated by 10-man Watford on game day on Saturday. Manager Dean Smith will be expecting a reaction from his players to their Hornets horror show, but the form book makes grim reading. Five defeats in six matches has left one of the summer's biggest spenders languishing in 18th in the table, with teams above them improving. Former's deserted Smith's men at the worst possible time. Injuries to John McGinn and Tyro Mings have hit Villa hard and they need the latter fit as soon as possible. As for Burnley, well, they're one of a number of sides in the lower half of the table who will be looking nervously over their shoulder. The Clarets are only six points above the dotted line after back-to-back defeats without scoring a goal. Manager Sean Dyche knows this is a guiltless chance to extend that gap and midfielder Dwight McNeil says he's relishing the chance to put one over former Clarets goalkeeper Tom Heaton on his return to Turf Moor. 
Yes, not enough firepower in that Villa team. Wesley's not scored in his past 12 league matches. Uh, that is one of the 10 games of New Year that you can hear live on TalkSport, TalkSport 2 and the TalkSport app. You can get the TalkSport app via your Google Play Store or the iOS Store. Download it. Go to the bottom of the screen after registering. You can look at the live game section. Just pick the match you want. And if you happen to be uh, listening to TalkSport on your little app and all of a sudden want to flick over to the cricket or flick over to another game which is simultaneously being broadcast, it's easy as swiping on Tinder uh, across, isn't it, Nicole? Um, right, let's move on to Brighton versus Chelsea. Um, Frank Lampard got his tactics wrong and then very right at Arsenal, but the inconsistency of this team has been a bit of a problem. Will they enjoy playing against the Brighton side that take risks? Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Frank Frank really turned it round though, because he bought Jorginho on in, what was it, the 30 fourth minute, 37th minute against Arsenal, something like that, very early on. Um, and it worked wonders, although, you know, I could sit here and argue, should Jorginho have stayed on the pitch to then have scored that first goal against Arsenal? Uh, anyway, um, but, uh, you know, he did, he did well. Chelsea started off really poor against Arsenal, but at the end of the day, they did well in the second half and they got that win. And, you know, Brighton obviously beat Bournemouth. They'll be very pleased with that result, but... I don't know. I think this is going to be a tough game for Brighton. I think I think Sam's right in terms of the inconsistency. If you look back, you know, we've spoken about this so often, you know, balancing Premier League, Champions League, and you think, right, they take one step forward, two steps back. You mm-hmm. go back to when they lost against West Ham, who were really struggling for results. And again, it's at the bridge. All the problems seem to be at the bridge. You know, they follow one yeah. good result with a really poor one. They beat Lille. And they follow that up and were really desperate against Bournemouth, who had basically nobody available. And they still got a win. And do you know what? Bournemouth probably deserved it so um, there's a few little issues that he's got to iron out in terms of their consistency like against Southampton who just picked them apart pressed them just seemed to press them relentlessly and I think that'll be a, a real cause of concern for Frank but the good thing is I think he's learning on the job maybe from the likes of Mourinho where he's not afraid to make a change early on mm-hmm, if it's mm-hmm. not working so that might work in his favour he's a young coach he's learning on the job but so has Graham Potter and they're in I think pretty decent form you know two lads who scored their first goals for their club yeah handbacks finally he Aaron was so Moy. thrilled oh goodness me it was incredible wasn't oh, it oh Ali Razor <laughs> can we finally give Tammy Abraham the credit he deserves please 29 games for club and country this season 15 goals Lille Massive goals against them in the Champions League. Wonderful finishes like Southampton away. A hat-trick against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Winner in the 88th minute against Arsenal Uh, under pressure. Can we just applaud him? Or is someone going to say, well, he's still not scored against one of the big boys. Arsenal don't count because they're 12th. Oh, savage. No, we can applaud him. Look, he's doing so well. I think it's, what, 12 league goals now this season? Yep. Um, he's brilliant. He's still so young. He's in fine form. I, I mean, I, th- I think he's great. And uh, you can't take that away from him by, you know, minor details, really. At the end of the day, he's scoring goals. And he's kind of a massive, massive part of this Chelsea side now. Well, I mean, look, he's quick. He's strong. He can run in behind. He can show to feet. He can link the play. He's now getting near the end of crosses, which I felt at the start of the season. Would he score enough goals from crosses? Mm-hmm. But he's getting across people. You know, he's, he's good in the air you saw him out muscle against Arsenal he got a free header quite a few times and yeah look he's absolute top quality and I think vindicated you know Frank's decision he obviously hasn't played Giroud he hasn't really had to he's been able to rely on Tammy and uh, no doubt that's given him a a lot of confidence and a lot of these forwards we've spoken about thrive on confidence and certainly Tammy he knows he's got the backing of the manager he knows he's going to play basically every game every minute and he's rewarded him Um, he's got more Premier League goals than Aguero Sterling Kane and Mane but you you said he was top quality, absolute top quality. Is he absolute top quality or is he a player with the potential to have absolute top quality? Because to me, even though he did score that winner against Arsenal, there are a couple of times where I'm thinking, Tammy, make that run. Mm-hmm. When you get that free header, you've got to send it the other side of the goalkeeper. Is he still someone who's learning? Oh, yeah, he's definitely course, learning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's definitely learning. But the good thing is he's still scoring goals and performing at that level, whether it's Champions League, whether it's Premier League. Now, he will have to refine his game and improve upon them. I mean, we just spoke about Calvert-Lewin and people like that. You know, mm-hmm. Jamie Vardy, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's still got to build up that bank of Premier League knowledge, whether that's runs, when to make those runs, getting across, pulling off behind. You know, those little details, bumping centre-halves, you know, the little intricacies that will get him even more goals. But I think he'll certainly do that. I really do. 
Okay, um, Tammy Abraham will be part of the Chelsea team that takes on Brighton uh, this New Year's Day, and you can hear all of the games on Talksport, Talksport Two, and the Talksport app. Okay, it's time for the commentator's curse. Players, we're putting the mockers on this week by giving a statistical reason as to why they will do well in this round of matches. David Connolly, what have you got for me? Well, I've gone for a player who is an absolute master craftsman. I saw him against um, Manchester City, who is absolutely brilliant. Against Leicester, fantastic. He's so creative, so brilliant on the ball, and that's Emilio Buendia. Now, he has six assists to his uh-huh. name. Yeah, six assists for the Canaries. And when he's on form, they do sing. They fly the Canaries. <laughs> he's got double the amount of assists as everyone else. Thank you. And Norwich have got a must-win game against Crystal Palace. And Nicole, where are you heading? Well, so I've gone a bit for a bit of a different one here You for me, usually. I Normally you're Arsenal. <laughs> no, not just Arsenal, but usually I go for maybe a more obvious goal scorer right okay um oh, i okay. am going for sebastian Allaire purely because oh Allaire. right well obviously west ham have a new manager in they've got Moyes in so you know there's the whole oui. new manager bounce am i right oh. um i mean look he's he needs a goal he needs a goal i think he's only scored one goal in the past 11 premier league games and fans keep calling him a fraud so i think that you know they're playing bournemouth at home i think he he needs a goal so i'm i'm backing him to get one for me okay fair enough i i i'm with you let's let's hope for his sake that that is the case and i like these players that don't score very often because finally Finally, this week, we saw that he has got the moves like Di Jagger. Ali Reza <laughs> Jahanbach, who in 2017-18 was the top scorer in the Erie Divisi. It's easy to score in that league, isn't it, David? Um, only became the third Iranian to score in the Premier League. Uh, but between signing for Brighton for £17 million, £17 million, he just scored his first goal on the 25th of July, 2018... Uh, and scoring for the Seagulls, Britain has had two Prime Ministers, 31 different number one records, 26 million days off sick, 957,000 babies have been born in this country, and a goalie from Mexico has scored from his own box. So, what are the chances of him doing the old London bus trick and two coming along at once? I think incredibly high. If not... What about David McGoldrick? 17 appearances, no goal in the Premier League for Sheffield United. Maybe it's his turn to break the duck this week. I'm so happy for Ali Razor Jahanbach. Can you tell? Uh, well done to him. Uh, Nicole, thank you very much. I'm pleased we still got a smile on your little oh. face uh, despite what happened uh, at Arsenal at the weekend. Uh, David, nice to see you once again. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank we'll you. speak to you soon. Uh, all the games on New Year's Day and the subsequent Thursday, uh, Liverpool, Sheffield United, all live on the TalkSport network. Uh, you can download our app by the Google Play Store or the iOS Store and then you can just flick and choose and just decide what you want to listen to. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and you'll get all of the reaction with Game Day The Verdict and Danny Kelly's record book. We'll see you later in the week for an FA Cup special. That was a Game Day Premier League preview show, a TalkSport exclusive podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.